0: Simple Beep, episode 83, Mac Mods. Hello and welcome to Simple Beep, a podcast looking back at the history of Apple and the Mac community. I'm Ed Cormony
1: and I'm Brian Satorius.
0: And on this episode we're going to have a fun summer project themed topic. But before we get into that, of course, we have a little bit of follow-up from our previous episodes. So our previous episode was on the use of the word pro in Macintosh products, Apple products. And I guess that was the thing. We focused too much on the Mac and forgot Apple's very first use of the word pro. And we got a few people who sent this into to us, including... Uh, listeners Ron Reuter and Justin Falcone, who said, did you forget about ProDOS? And the answer was, yes, we totally forgot about ProDOS, (laughs) uh, which was, I think, the default Apple II operating system for some time. It's called ProDOS, and it literally stands for Professional Disk Operating System. And of course, the main competitor at that time was Microsoft DOS, -DOS. MS-DOS. But that was... Frequently shortened to just DOS, so I think that there was a little bit of a jab there, saying, "Ah, yes, but ours,
1: ours is professional." I totally felt that same way, where, um, like my my minimal interaction with MS DOS during the time period where it was in use, um, it was shortened to DOS, and so the the acronym or Hearing the word DOS had a connotation of Microsoft to me, which is why it's so weird to think about this. Apple provided a uh, Pro DOS, but DOS is just the acronym disk operating system. It's not like like Kleenex is to tissue as DOS is to uh, low level disk based operating systems.
0: Right? It's like PC, where you know then people are like, "Wait, is uh is a Mac Pro a PC?" Well, yes, it's a personal computer, um, but then that came to with Microsoft's dominance in the 90s came to mean a particular type. Another thing here about ProDOS, as I'm looking at the Wikipedia page, is that its successor, I know we've mentioned on the show because it's a terrible pun, its successor, more than professional, was the Sophisticated Operating System, which was shortened to SOS, or, if you have the right vowels for it, applesauce. Sauce. <laughs> Sophisticated operating system, unsophisticated puns.
1: Moving back in our episode history to our episode before that about the next transition, we talked about um, the Copeland operating system project, which led into Rhapsody and made the comments about how a lot of Apple operating systems around that era had musical code names like those two. Um, There's also Gershwin and listener Phil Dokus pointed out that macOS 9 not only had the code name Sonata for the like entire project of the OS version 9 which we mentioned but each of its point releases had musical themed uh, code names as well such as 9.0.4 was Minuet and 9.1 was Fortissimo
0: oh and 9.2 as well was Moonlight And if the whole of version 9 was Sonata, the Moonlight Sonata is a famous piece of classical music. (laughs) Also from Phil, we got some OS 8 follow-up, also Next related, about the color pickers. And we were talking about how the transition went from the classic Mac to OS 10 and the influence of the Next style color picker. And we thought that there was like, a sort of a big jump there. We forgot the OS 8, OS 9 era did improve color picking in classic macOS. And in fact, that was where the Cranbox color picker made its debut. And we'll put a link in the show notes that has some screenshots of this. And these color pickers were in the more traditional classic, I guess, window form factor for a color picker, which was like a landscape orientation dialogue box. And the addition of the new color picker types was represented in uh, in like a scrolling view along the left-hand side, a little sidebar where you could pick which type you wanted to use. So like the crayons, or the more traditional ones like the HSV or the RGB color pickers. Uh, the thing that I think I was talking about in that episode that is the influence of Next and was something that you could see in that Next demo that we talked about is then the reorientation of the layout of that window. So the crayon picker was a Mac feature, but the portrait orientation, small floating palette that we still have in macOS today, that was the thing that got imported from Next. And in OS Ten you got the best of both worlds. You got the, the simplified, user-friendly color-picking interface from the classic Mac and the Next-style window controls.
1: There was also a, a second tweet from Phil in that thread about the color-pickers that said, in the Mac OS 8 uh, crayon color-picker, you could option-click a specific pixel Within the crown because, you know, they were uh, shaded to look three dimensional. So, you know, one end was lighter, one end was darker to have a light source and shadow and you would get uh, that pixel in the preview and its name would change to the name of the color and the suffix ish. It's so like yellow ish obsidian ish <laughs> magenta ish.
0: Obsidian is, I think, is still the the color in that color picker that is just black. Like, if you want straight up black.
1: Obsidian-ish is, is, is a hilarious nerd joke for like the Anthony Anderson-led sitcom on ABC. Uh, uh, but yeah, and I think that still
0: works where um, if you get a color from the eyedropper anywhere in the system, then it will still tell you what the closest crayon color is.
1: And one final piece of follow-up going back to our episode about Bungie. We closed that episode with a very quick dismissal of their latest IP, Destiny, because neither of us have played it. And we know that um, in our community of Apple-centric podcasts, there is one John Syracusa who is a big fan of Destiny and a, and a consistent player. And so uh, we said, you know, if you... <laughs> want more destiny coverage check out one of his podcasts well uh one of our listeners david klein brought up (laughs) this segment of our episode to john's attention and he issued some corrections first that um i posited that destiny is a multiplayer only game and john said no there is single player story content and also that the original destiny one had a simultaneous release on playstation and xbox not an exclusive to one or the other
0: All right. I think that wraps it up for follow-up. So let's go on to our topic for this episode. And Brian, you are the inspiration for this topic. You decided to have a little summer arts and crafts project. And I first got a glimpse of this because I think you uh, just posted some like with no further comment photos into our Slack channel. And then we uh, started chatting back and forth on on what was happening. And then eventually you turned this into a blog post. Some people might have seen it uh, over on 512pixels, got linked there. Um, but you decided to do a really fascinating mod mashup of an old Mac and a new Mac.
1: Yes, I found a Macintosh Classic on eBay and put a Mac mini inside it and was able to wire up some pieces and a display and close everything back up, uh, such that everything is self-contained. I just have one power cord running out of the back where the original power cord was and, uh, use a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. So it's, it's like a a modern Mac classic mini (laughs) amalgamation of stuff. And it's, it was really fun putting it together.
0: So what was it that first got you thinking that you wanted to put this together? Like, what was the piece that you saw and went, aha, I should do this?
1: I've seen a bunch of people putting um, the like the classic-sized iPad in these classic Mac cases uh, because the original CRT was, I think, 9 inches and the iPads are 9.7. So it really fits with minimal uh, overlap or content-missing and really, just minimal fuss because <laughs> everything's already uh, sized appropriately. And I think uh, you posted one of these projects from our Simple Beep Twitter account, and it was just like, okay, now I've seen enough to think that like there's got to be something uh, that similar that can be done with a modern Mini Mac that could probably fit in the rest of the space because some people will gut these, you know, classics or SEs or original Macs. And if you put an iPad in there, there's a lot of unused volume space that could probably house a Mac mini. And so that got me thinking. And then I found uh, a blog post, which I will make sure gets put in our show notes, from a person who did something similar with a Raspberry Pi, um, hooking it up inside a, a, a hollowed out case of a classic Mac and putting a simple LCD panel where the old CRT went, and then that guy was like, well, I I might as well just upgrade this to putting a whole Mac mini in there and hooking it up to the same LCD. But he just kind of shoved the mini in there on its side and like duct taped and just kind of, I think there's a whole surge protector in there to, <laughs> to power all these things. And I was looking, I was like, it's, clearly it's possible. Like there is enough volume in there. And I think it might even be possible to do this a little more elegantly <laughs> and not like hacksaw some, some piece, pieces aside to, uh, to make room for like, you know, a, a sideways Mac mini and lo and behold, uh, at least with the model I got the Macintosh classic, there is an internal metal chassis that once you remove all of the electronics, uh, there's a slot on the bottom that almost perfectly accommodates a modern form factor Mac mini. So uh, yes, this is a project that I highly recommend anyone who can find all the parts necessary to do because it ended up being way easier and way uh, like almost serendipitously possible than I expected.
0: Nice. So yeah, you said that uh, the first inspirations that you saw were ones that used iPads and actually, that makes a lot of sense because the iPad, still to this day, in all there have been many different size classes of it, but they've all been the 4x3 uh, screen ratio. None of them have been widescreen, in effect, in, in landscape mode. And so that means that they are the same ratio as old CRTs and what fit in the classic Mac or in your case, the Mac Classic. (laughs) Um, But you decided not to go the iPad route. So maybe just like to start from the beginning, I guess you didn't have an extra iPad laying around that you wanted to contribute to this project. What pieces did you have on hand and what did you have to go acquire?
1: Correct about the iPad. I did not have one just kind of laying around. Um, I basically had to acquire everything except the eventual uh, Magic Keyboard and Magic Mouse, which I've been using for my work and personal laptop, and now have been kind of relegated to the Classic Mac. Everything else I had to get online. So you didn't even have the Mini. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so I had to get the, the old Mac Classic off of eBay. And uh, I put a little aside about this in the blog post. But uh, when I started looking for tutorials or blog posts from other people who had done similar things... There were a lot of comments or like Hacker News-esque links to these things that were angry because why would you take a classic Mac, which aren't being made anymore, and destroy it when you could restore it and, and bring it back to its original condition?
0: The answer is to find one that's already been pre-destroyed. <laughs>
1: exactly. So I made sure that I uh, found one that was being sold for parts only. And indeed, though the the machine I ended up buying came to me with like all the, the CRT, the hard drive, the floppy drive, the motherboard, everything still intact within the case, uh, something, a capacitor or something on the analog board, which I think was supplying power and stuff to the CRT, uh, had caught fire, straight up caught fire. It had burned through the uh, the the actual board itself. There was a little bit of a paper shielding on one side with caution symbols that it had burned through as well. And it even left a burn mark on the inside of the case itself. Fortunately, that didn't make it to the outside. But this was totally a lost cause, unless you wanted to take a functioning analog board and maybe even the CRT from a separate machine.
0: Yeah, like if this had been the last Mac Classic on the planet, someone in a museum could have gone to the effort of trying to restore it. But in practical terms of how many of these things there are left in the world, and the condition that this was in, like you said, lost cause. And yeah, you, you showed me the pictures. The pictures are in the blog post as well. And yeah, like there's charring. <laughs> it <laughs> yeah. is. It, there are signs of, of fire and the kind of thing where apart from totally gutting it and replacing it with classic retro parts, then there was nothing that you could do to save this machine. I suppose, did you look at all for just empty cases? where there, I guess if you could find those, they might be even cheaper.
1: There were some, but uh, at this point I was getting very picky and thought that the model name Macintosh Classic was too good for making a quote-unquote classic Mac project. So once I narrowed my search to something that just said Macintosh Classic, and not even classic Roman numeral two, uh, this was the only candidate. <laughs>
0: Oh, yeah. And you could wind up with one of those like weird Performas that looks like a Mac Classic or something. You don't want it to say Performa
1: on the front. Exactly. Performa 200. I don't want one of those. <laughs> um, and actually, this kind of might dovetail in with your guest post on 512 pixels about the uh, starting price of Mac models throughout the, the Mac line. Um, I think you pointed out to me, maybe in our Slack, that uh, the Macintosh Classic was uh, like kind of a low outlier from the trends around that same time, probably because Apple was just getting parts out of a bin and assembling them, which uh, I think probably leads to there being a lot of these models available on eBay in various states of uh, usability, of course, because they were a budget model that more people could buy.
0: Yeah, in terms of the like overall history of that, I think a lot of times people cite the iMac G3 as hearkening back to the original Macintosh, the 128K. And like, yes, in form factor and in the marketing things that they did with the script hello and all of that, there were definite callbacks there. But in terms of placement in the product line, it was really hearkening back to the Macintosh Classic, which was the first of those all-in-one Macs that was priced aggressively to be able to get into more people's homes as a consumer electronics product. As opposed to a computer, which was not the kind of, you know, a personal computer, which was not the kind of thing that every home thought that they needed in the
1: late 80s. And secondly, as part of that, um, lending to what you said, like kind of a parts bin mentality, uh, this computer is also a great option for people who do want to take it apart uh, and, and repurpose it or restore it because it is iFixit's dream. <laughs> All you really need that a normal person might not have in their house to take this apart and mess around with it is a Torx screwdriver of like T15, I don't know, diameter, whatever the, the size of the little bit on the end. And the, the handle has to be long and skinny because there are two of these Torx screws like deeply recessed under the carrying handle. Other than that, there are some Phillips screws and everything else is like just modular. Build your own PC from the 90s style with like the giant plastic clips that provide SATA power or whatever to the different drives. It's so easy to take apart. It's it's almost unbelievable in this modern era.
0: You mentioned iFixit, and I'm just searching for that kind of thing. And uh the one thing that I found on iFixit was someone doing a similar mod with a color classic, uh, which of course has a has that slightly different uh, appearance to it. It's a different different type of case. It, it always feels like it's leaning backwards. It doesn't seem like, it, it does seem like the monitor is tilted slightly upwards uh, in comparison to the original Mac and the the Mac classic form factor.
1: Getting into actually taking it apart, you just need a torque screwdriver, and then you can take the the back shell off of the front faceplate. And all the guts on the inside are actually screwed to the front faceplate. And then from there, uh, you really can just like the, the motherboard, which sits in this bottom reserved area, just slides right out once nothing is connected to it you, you, your ribbon cables and power cables. Um, so that's like, <laughs> you don't need any tools, just need <laughs> your hands. Uh, the floppy drive and hard drive, I think were Phillips screwed into the chassis. You take out the ribbon cables, the power cables, unscrew them. They come out. Uh, the CRT is screwed in with uh, small torque screws. So once you've gotten in, obviously you can get it out. Uh, but I did run into a bunch of people who were attempting similar projects that said, you got to discharge the CRT, no matter how long this is laid dormant, you know, they, they hold on to their charge. Uh, and there's enough that could be built up, built up in a CRT to actually hurt you. Uh, so what I did was I followed one guy's suggestion, which I think is also linked in t- in my blog post. Uh, you can kind of make your own CRT discharger by attaching jumper cables <laughs> to your long handled screwdriver, um, like one end on the metal part of your screwdriver. And you can anchor the other end to this very solidly built metal chassis. <laughs> The machine is, is built around and then uh, kind of wedge it into the connector on the CRT. You'll hear a little biz as all the electricity jumps. And then it's safe to take apart with your hands and a screwdriver. Was there actually a physical noise when you did it? There was not on mine. So I think I might have been safe and I was just being overly cautious. But uh, at least in one of the videos, I found that whoever was demonstrating how to do it still had a CRT with some charge in it.
0: Yeah, I would not say overly cautious, just cautious. Yeah. From what I've heard, you can get you can get like a serious pow and uh, like noticeable discharge depending on, just basically depending on what state it was last powered down in. Uh, like you said, th- these are stored in capacitors and the way that those work physically is that they are designed to and can hold their charge for uh, for years. Uh, or, uh, if they fail, uh, they can create the holes in plastic and, and smoke and, uh, charred bits that were in the other portion of your machine.
1: Yep. And, uh, so speaking of that other portion, uh, it is a second motherboard with, you know, circuitry, capacitors, et cetera. Um, if you're looking at the Mac classic, like you're using it, this would be running vertically along the left side of the case. Um, so the, the power supply is on here. The CRT I think is like hardwired or soldered in some places directly to this board. Um, the fan, the speaker are directed directly connected to this board. And this was the only other like slightly difficult place for me because it also has its own, uh, steel, like, uh, bonus frame. (laughs) So you can, you can remove and unscrew all these things, but I wanted to leave this, uh, auxiliary steel part of the chassis in my finished product. Um, And it appears that the uh, analog board is soldered to the frame. And I thought about getting some kind of like high performance soldering and melting the solder on there and and methodically going through and getting it off. And then I was like, no, uh, I can wedge a, a flat screwdriver (laughs) next to the solder points and just basically pry it off. And I did damage the board a little bit in the process, but this was the board that had suffered a fire. So I didn't feel too bad about it. And then, uh, so once all of the removal was left, I had, uh, this metal frame with its like auxiliary piece that has the beige, uh, on and off power button. And I had the two pieces of the outer case and everything else is like very easily removed and uh, then you have a a clean case to start building your project.
0: Yeah, so you knew that you were going to put a Mac Mini in there, and you had either measured or tested out uh, that it was going to fit nicely in the lower portion of the case. And unlike the projects with iPads, then you needed to bring your own display. I guess if you're really ambitious, you could try to wire up to the original CRT, but that was not the point of this. The point of this was to get a... Get modern guts working in a classic case, not actually reviving the classic system components. So what did you decide on for the screen and how did that work?
1: This was by far the toughest part and the part I'm least satisfied uh, with its results. Um, I found an 8-inch 4 4-to-3 four ratio uh, LCD panel. There are versions of this all over the internet, especially on Alibaba or AliExpress or those kinds of websites. And there's a slightly more expensive version on one of these Raspberry Pi outfit websites. I think Pi Moroni. I haven't thought about how to say it out loud, but it, it's the panel and it's a, a tiny circuit board that obviously knows how to convert uh, incoming signal and, and control the board. And uh, another breakout board with the kind of traditional monitor physical controls like show the menu, scroll through the menu, choose brightness, choose contrast, etc.
0: I love this little connector board, has just a gratuitous sticker
1: with a pirate on it. I, I ordered this from this website, which is in London, I think, or somewhere in the United Kingdom. Um and it actually arrived pretty quickly. So uh don't worry about shipping or customs. I guess, unless, you know, you're listening to this in a weird dystopian future, but let's not worry about that. (laughs) And then uh, the the display itself is powered by USB. It's little personal circuit board has a micro USB. And then uh, I was able to get a cable that's micro on one end, USB in the other, and eventually power it directly from the mini. Um, It has HDMI in, and I chose a 2011 Mac mini, which has HDMI out. So that was easy. Um, I also chose the 2011 Mac mini because it was one of the models that didn't have even the the capability of a, an optical drive, because I didn't know (laughs) how vibrations (laughs) might, you know, affect this. Uh, And and not that I was going to be sticking CDs in and out, but I just didn't want to have the complexity. That was also another thing I did was take out the spinning hard disk and put in a solid state disk just to be safe, but also fast. Getting back to this display panel, um, I like it's, it's wrapped in so much bubble wrap (laughs) when it arrives. Uh, so if you weren't already worried that this is a pretty fragile component, it's not like a a display display that you can just like mount on your wall or something. It's just the panel. So I was very worried about like, not even mounting it, but once it's mounted, like if I, you know, have a momentary lapse and want to touch the screen, am I going to ruin it because it's just a naked panel? Uh, so eventually I looked up custom framers <laughs> and there's one in the back of my local Michaels and shout out to this dude, Eric, who was working there the day I brought it in. Cause he was really into it. And he, uh, did a custom frame job for me basically where, uh, the back is just like standard black photo matting. The front was an appropriately, uh, sized piece of acrylic And he's like, uh, just for liability reasons, I'm not going to actually sandwich this all together for you, but I'll size it, I'll place it, I'll cut all the components you need, Um, just slap some cardboard on the back of it, and tape it all together with electric tape.
0: Nice. I'm glad that you found someone at your local craft store who was actually into this. Like I can imagine going back. I've been to those framing places in the back of a Michael's. I can imagine going in with this and they're like, um,
1: sir, this is not a photograph. I felt confident as I walked up because some of their examples above the service counter, someone had framed, quote unquote, framed a saxophone. <laughs> I was like, okay, you're, you're dealing with things in the third dimension. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That that inspires more confidence. That was like a big hurdle. And yes, I'm glad someone else was able to take care of it for me. The other thing that I didn't think about until I had brought my lovely little display sandwich home was the interior of the case is curved. Like the, the cutout for the display is curved because the surface of the CRT is similarly curved. And you don't want to have air gaps.
0: Right. Little little do we forget that. Remember when what we now call HD TVs were called flat screen TVs? <laughs> and like they didn't mean necessarily. I mean, yes, it was partially because the actual cases were thinner, but it was also because the physical screen was flat. Like even if you had a CRT TV where the front piece of it was completely flat glass, that was usually because there was an air gap between that and another piece of glass that was sitting behind it.
1: Uh, so, this proved to be a setback, albeit a momentary setback, because uh, after doing some more Googling, I found someone else who has done basically the same mod that I did with a Macintosh Classic, a Mac Mini, and a display, uh, an LCD display. Um, and so, this guy is way smarter than me. And through one of his 3D modeling programs, just basically created a th- a digital 3d model of like a filler. So it, it, it takes the curves and fills it in with 3d printed material until you've got a flat plane to which you can uh, affix your display. And he's very generous. And I'm very grateful uh, that he, he put it available online so you can get the, the 3d model and then send it to one of these on-demand 3d printers. Cause I don't have one or easy access to one. So I basically just got to like order in the mail this very crucial piece that a lot of people did the work for me on.
0: That feels almost even more magic than 3D printing in your own home, right? Where you just say, internet, make me an object. And then it just shows up at your house like a few days later.
1: Yeah, yeah. So I highly recommend it. Um, And so I basically just epoxied like a two-part clear epoxy, that 3D printed thing to the inside of the case. And then um, the, the guy who originally did that mod... Uh, He bought a widescreen, actually like just a small monitor. So something that is already encased with its own uh, like circuitry and everything and was bigger so that he could actually mount it back into the screw mounting points for the CRT. And I did something that was slightly smaller than than the display area, which is why I needed black matting. And and my thing barely would have reached the finished display sandwich, barely would have reached the four CRT mounting points. So what I ended up doing was taking my finished display sandwich and then epoxying that to the 3D printed filler. So it's it's stuck in there for good.
0: I imagine that the display unit that you have even with the additional material around it though is pretty light though, right?
1: Oh yeah, very light.
0: Yeah, so you don't need a whole lot of force or structure to necessarily keep it in place on the front
1: yeah I'm not worried about it falling off, but uh like I said, it's not perfectly aligned and um the like the window cut in to the matting to allow the uh like the contents of the display to shine through is slightly smaller, so like part of the menu bar and part of the lower part of the dock for example in os ten is cut off but now it's all glued in there tight and there's no way to really fix it but you know what it's it's good enough it's certainly good enough. So that's the display, the the Mac mini, um, with all those pieces ready, it was basically just one long process of assembly. And then it was done. And, uh, before I assembled it, I wanted to, uh, clean up the outside of the case. It was a little yellow and there are some like pencil marks or pen marks on there. And I wasn't able to get those off, but I was able to restore it to that kind of beige, not beige, uh, platinum snow white appearance And this is a whole other subculture of restoring old computers, not even just Macs, that I was unaware of until starting this.
0: I had never heard of this. And you think, okay, so people have developed a way of doing this. There will be some sort of official product. But then, no, it turns you down this road to a completely crazy hack.
1: So there's a, a community solution called RetroBright, and the O in Retrobrite is actually a zero. But I think you can search for either term and, and get results. And it's this kind of open source recipe of a couple different chemicals that somehow reverses the UV light yellowing of beige or platinum plastics. And the reason they don't offer some kind of off-the-shelf solution is because some of these chemicals are dangerous. And I think no one just wanted to shoulder the responsibility of someone getting a burn on their hands or inhaling fumes or anything while they're going about doing this. So the recipe is out there. And if you can get the chemicals, you can make your own. And they're not like terrible, terribly hard to find. I think it's basically like OxyClean and some high strength peroxide. However, (laughs) as part of uh, my extensive googling into this i found someone who had restored i think an old keyboard that had that was severely yellowed with um some off the shelf uh hair coloring <laughs> cream uh because it like in our ongoing quest to make the tech world more diverse uh, especially in terms of like not just straight white guys talking about tech it would take someone, maybe a woman who's used to getting her hair colored, something that men don't frequently do, to look at this recipe of chemicals and be like, oh, yeah, they use the same thing to like bleach your hair or as part of a, a hair coloring process. And it sounds very similar to this literal product that I have at home. Uh, so she pointed uh, everybody in her blog post to 40 volume cream developer from Sally Beauty Supply. This is basically off the shelf retro bright.
0: That's amazing. Yeah, like gender aside, the fact that the retro computing subculture and the like beauty culture, right? Like the the salon and hair industry just don't tend to overlap. <laughs> so you need to be the right the right kind of person and there was one such person. And so this like I think this is the funniest part of the story because you know, you've sourced all these other parts, like from eBay and through custom 3D printing, and going to the craft store and getting custom framing done. And this is like what you go to your Walgreens.
1: I mean, I got it off Amazon because I'm lazy, but yeah, you can go to Walgreens <laughs> or any like salon. <laughs> so yeah, I uh, I um, squirted some of this uh, hair cream developer onto a plastic dish and got a little foam brush from the same, uh, Walmart that I was getting some of these parts and just basically painted a thin layer onto the case and, uh, let it dry in direct sunlight for not even an hour, barely an hour. And the results were like that instant. And you wipe off any residue with a paper towel and you can throw away your supplies cause they are full of like high strength peroxide. Um, And that's it. Like, that was so easy, especially because I was able to use this off-the-shelf cream.
0: Yeah, like, now that I'm thinking about it, you're like, wait, these things don't overlap. And it's like, wait, this is for hair bleaching. And even those of us who have never had that done, like, we know the phrase platinum blonde. You're right. And, like, what color do you want to restore your computer case to? Platinum. Like, everybody came up with this
1: independently and
0: just... It took one person to put two and two together. <laughs>
1: so yeah, basically I'm standing on the shoulders of giants here. Like I, I didn't do much in any way of like original content. I'm just pulling together a lot of things that I found. Um. So yeah, so I have my case restored to its original color. I have all the guts taken out. I have my Mac mini ready. I have my display ready and epoxied to the inside of the case. Um, there is a brief detour here where the fan... Um, was housed like in the in the same underneath area where my Mac Mini was intended to go in a little plastic chassis of its own.
0: Oh, and I guess that would be one concern is that you're taking the Mac Mini, which yeah, it's got like all the you know fancy Johnny Ive uh, passive cooling or whatever, right? But that assumes that it's kind of sitting out and is uh, surrounded by open air on most sides, and you've wedged it into a little slot.
1: So heat could be an issue. It hasn't come up yet, and I'm pretty confident I'll be okay because a lot of the stuff I'm using it for is very low load. <laughs> so I haven't even heard the fan spin up that much. And uh, the the actual exterior case has vents along the side and back for that bottom area. So even if the Mac Mini on its own is spitting out hot air, um, it should be able to easily escape through vents that are near where its own vent is. I, you know, fingers crossed. I'm no thermodynamics expert. And even though it's
0: relatively enclosed, there is still quite a bit of air above it in the space where the CRT
1: no longer is. <laughs> exactly, yeah. There's a lot of empty space for the hot air to rise into and eventually dissipate. Um, but yeah, so I had to chisel off the the uh, the like the little plastic caps that were injection molded to hold the fan in, um, throw away the fan carriage, and then I basically slid the Mini into this uh under part of the chassis where the motherboard used to be and then i got some right angle cables off of amazon uh one for power two for usb a and one for hdmi because like i said this basically is perfectly sized to fit the mac mini um such so that unless you want to drill out where the uh, the port holes are on the back of the case you don't have room for you know the one to two inches of like the, I forget what the official term for this is, but like there's the connector and then there's like two inches of housing that need to stay rigid on all these cables and those won't fit. So you got to get these right angle cables that immediately move upward. And then from there, I was able to kind of thread them through areas in the chassis um, thread, the HDMI up to the display, USB up to the display I got uh, some Amazon Basics desktop speakers that are powered by USB, just so that you know the whole thing would sound slightly nicer than the one Mac Mini internal speaker. Uh, so, like I said, they're USB powered. I got another right angle USB for them, a right angle headphone jack adapter, and uh, so I, I threaded all those cables in there, hooked everything up, and uh, closed it. And that was it. It was it was besides like the kind of sketchy work with the display and the the panel and protecting the panel and mounting the panel everything else was supremely easy and uh again i just i can't recommend it enough this was a fun project and it it had great results through not a lot of like sweating over uh dangerous or detailed work so when you boot it up now what do you get I get uh, Mac OS High Sierra 10.13, which uh, is the last version that this particular Mac Mini can run. Um, I have a sheep shaver install uh, set up with OS 9. And uh, as you pointed out to me, I should get a mini vMac up in there for like the full authentic black and white experience. I haven't done that yet. That's still on the docket Uh, because I got distracted as I put into our show notes. The most recent thing I've been doing is trying to capture... Um, all the games that I played, uh, like in the late 90s or early 2000s, which was like this brief window when I was playing, you know, like AAA titles, what few there were on the Mac instead of just like this, your standard Ambrosia shareware. And so uh, Sheep Shaver won't cut it because Sheepshaver does not emulate a graphics card. So anything that tries to interface with like OpenGL will just crash the whole thing. Um, but we talked in our Bungie episode about Halo MD, which brings the, the original Halo Macintosh port to modern Mac OS. And I think we posed the question in there, uh, cause it's, it's intended to keep the multiplayer, uh, part of that game alive. We posed the question, can you do it for the original Halo campaign? And I think we, we left it unanswered, but I can answer now. Yes, you can. Um, you can use the modern Halo MD if you have a copy of the original Halo, I don't know where you might get that. But um, as I said in that episode, I did buy and pay for one. So I feel totally legitimized in you know, how I may have obtained mine. And you just got to find, uh, I think it's like library application support, Halo MD. You drop your maps in there from the original campaign. And then um, the first time you start the first level, you have to do it through the in-game console to override it's like demo mode for the campaign, but then you can save your game, resume your progress and you're in the story mode. So I have Halo running on this tiny Macintosh classic. Um, and more recently, I've been going through the WineSkin open source windows emulator, which is fascinating to me <laughs> to get um, Deus X, the original Deus X and unreal tournament running as well.
0: That's amazing. I love the anachronism of this is that the fact that you have taken the retro case, but put in, put essentially modern hardware in it. I mean, like you have wifi, you can download these things from the internet. Yep. Uh, you said you're using the Bluetooth, uh, keyboard and mouse yeah. to, uh, reduce that, uh, cable clutter and cramping issue that you had with the other things that had to stay internal to the case. But because of this, you can basically, through the modern technology and the emulation, roll back the clock as far forward or far back as you want and go like all the way to oh well I'll run like system six in an emulator on this, or I'll just like browse the web in Safari
1: on iSierra. Yeah. Um, and this wineskin was completely new to me. Like I, I know of boot camp and I know of parallels. the more traditional ways to get Windows stuff on a Mac. But WineSkin is, again, a completely free and open source project that basically wraps uh, a Windows executable, a .exe that, again, you may get from anywhere, we won't ask, um, with a, a very thin Windows operating system that, like, kind of boots in real time. So there's only, like, a second or a half second of lag as its little wrapper application is bouncing in your dock, before you just get the, the application you want to run uh, with no like Windows background. I don't even know what version of Windows these things are running. I assume it's like XP, <laughs> given the vintage of the stuff I'm trying to get in there. But it is, it's really cool. It's surprisingly lightweight and easy to set up. Um, I've put a link in our show notes for someone who did it for Deus X, because there are like two or three finicky things to get it, to work in High Sierra specifically and to get it to access OpenGL instead of just doing all software rendering. Um, but other than that, like it's just a couple minutes of, of setup and then you can basically drag and drop these EXEs into a wineskin wrapper and start running Windows stuff on this tiny machine that I've bought and put together. That's amazing. little
0: sidebar on wine here and its history. So wine, oh man nerds are the worst sometimes (laughs) wine is a recursive backronym that stands for wine is not an emulator (laughs) but like you said what version of windows is it running the answer is it's not it's not running any version of windows oh wow is that it's like standalone libraries that basically uh lets those executables run without the rest of windows uh it has a long history in the unix especially linux world it Uh, I guess looking at its history here, it goes all the way back to 1993. So basically, as long as Windows has been around, people have been trying to do this sort of cross-platform transpiling, I don't know what you call it, uh, to get Windows software running on Linux. And the first taste that Mac users got of this was at the very beginning of Mac OS X, because it brought the Darwin kernel and the Unix underpinnings. There was like some chance that you could get Wine running on macOS 10. And I remember fiddling around with this in like the Jaguar days. And, you know, you had to install weird stuff. You had to get the X11 environment working because that was the window. That's what it uses as a Windows server. And it was basically if you didn't know how to compile Linux apps from scratch, then you were going to be pretty out of luck on getting Wine running back then. Uh, I do remember the name Wineskin from then, but it was also similarly finicky. You basically had to do all of the wine setup by hand yourself beforehand, and I never ever got an app actually fully... Up and running. I've frequently you get to the point where you would open it and just you know the app would crash immediately. So it's good to hear that with an additional decade or so of development that uh, it has gotten a little bit more user friendly and that you've actually been able to get some apps to and not just apps but games to launch with it and to perform reasonably well.
1: Yeah, uh, I mentioned that I have heard the fans spin up only but only briefly, only when you were playing Deus Ex. Yep. Uh, the very first time I got Deus Ex running, it was before I had read the, this like additional tutorial about little, uh, flags you can set to really optimize it for Mac OS high Sierra. So it must've been software rendering, you know, this detailed 3d world, uh, on top of like this windows all on the CPU and just way too much for a 2011 Mac mini.
0: Way too much for a Mac classic.
1: for sure. <laughs> Certainly. Yeah. But yeah, so that's, that's my project. Uh, again, I, I really cannot recommend this enough, especially for anyone who's listening to our show, which is a show being recorded and released in the modern era about these machines from the classic era. It's a merging of the two in a way that at least the, to my tastes, the way I've done it, uh, you really can pick up this little thing by the handle. It's got its power cord draping out the back and you can, I can set it anywhere I want in my house and uh, bring along a Bluetooth keyboard and mouse. And it works. It, it functions like a Mac in the case of a classic Mac. So I think it's great. Hopefully this, uh, this segment of our episode and the links I've put in my little blog post about the process are enough for anyone who wants to do it, at least in the way that I did it, because I sure hope a lot of people go out and do this.
0: Awesome. I don't know that I have the space for a separate classic Mac, in my home, especially because I already have a desktop Mac in my home, uh, and I live in a New York apartment. <laughs> but uh, I think it's a very cool project. I'm glad that you've documented it and just added, you know, one more place on the internet that people can go and and get guidance on this. So, of course, thinking about this. Uh, interesting mod for an old classic Mac got me thinking about other things that people have done with Macs, especially gutting out their cases and doing interesting things to them over the course of the Macintosh's history. And so for the rest of the episode, we're going to go through some things that we haven't personally done, but are other interesting projects that have been undertaken with Mac cases in the past. And the one that immediately sprung to mind for me was the various iterations of creating an aquarium inside of an old CRT Mac, or as it is sometimes called, a Macquarium. (laughs) Brian, you did some good research here and found basically where the term started. And it is actually, it was actually coined by Andy Anatko who was a longtime Mac commentator, columnist, now podcaster, and many other things. Um, and there, we'll link to an interview with him where he's quoted as saying, yes, I was the one who came up with this, and it happened maybe earlier than I expected. So he says... I was writing the help folder column at Mac user, answering reader questions. Someone wrote in and asked, What's the best way to upgrade a 512K Mac? And Mr. Funnybones said, gut it out and turn it into aquarium. Then I answered it seriously. And the funny thing about this is then people read this and they took his joke answer and they took that seriously and they actually started doing it. So yeah, it actually goes all the way back to, I suppose, the 512K, um, or again, if you had a beyond-recovery original Macintosh, you could do this sort of thing as well. And that was what surprised me a little bit in the history of it, is that it went that far back. I kind of associated this more with the iMac G3 era, because that is where the CRT, the built-in CRT, that's the end of the line for it. Is once we go from the iMac G3 to the iMac G4, no more Macs have internal CRTs. I think at that point Apple was still producing some external CRT displays in the uh, studio display line, but that's the point at which you'd say, "Okay, we're le- we're obviously leaving this technology behind." Like it's a clever use of that space. All that all that empty glass space that's where we can put a tank and the fish and we've clearly moved on technology wise like we're not going to necessarily regret especially if you have a broken one an old one something that you're just going to send to the dump otherwise or recycling otherwise then it's like okay this is technology of the past not the present and that therefore we can sacrifice it as art or crafts
1: and the the side benefit of The case was famously translucent, which is, you know, one of the things, one of the reasons to have an aquarium is to be able to see the fish. (laughs) So you have that benefit instead of maybe just having that eight to nine inch window through which to see your tank. Uh, It may have been fruit flavor tinged, but you could see the, the movement of your fish, certainly from all around the aquarium with these iMac aquariums.
0: Yeah, and it created lighting opportunities as well because you know for any any fish tank you're going to include a light in the tank. Uh not always going to put it on at night, but you have that option of of giving the fish light when it's dark in the room and then with the translucent plastics of the iMac G3s then you get that color shining through
1: into the room as well. And uh you mentioned studio display <laughs> Like and when you were talking about CRTs, we found an example of uh, a studio display in Macquarium that I will say broke my heart. (laughs) On the other hand, though, this is incredible. It's a feat of engineering.
0: Yeah. So this is, again, one of those things where you have to hope that uh, the CRTs, like, you know, truly burned out in the physical sense and were irreplaceable. Uh, But someone has taken the outer shelves, which are totally clear plastic of two studio displays and put them face to face, and I don't know, like epoxyed, welded. I am, I, I lack the kind of, uh, crafty ability to do this kind of thing. And looking at this, uh, that we'll link in the show notes, I would be paranoid a hundred percent of the time that it was going to spring a leak. <laughs> yeah, but they've taken these two and put them into this large oblong shape of two studio displays front to front uh, and the whole thing is uh, is a fish tank. It's got like um, it's got like plastic skulls and the pebbles at the bottom. and yeah, it's completely clear like a, like an ordinary fish tank that you would buy but instead of being a rectangular prism, it's the wild curvy shape of the uh, of the two displays.
1: And I say broke my heart because as I've mentioned on this show, I think Ed has mentioned on this show, I've seen Stephen Hackett mention it, the final CRT studio display that Apple ever made is like a holy grail for classic Mac enthusiasts because it was just like so striking in its design. And I think these are the shells of two of those, which means like there are two fewer of those holy grail displays that I want left in the world.
0: Right. Like I said, hopefully... It was only because the internals were completely irrecoverable.
1: Uh, Moving on from aquariums, another similar use for the kind of airy space afforded by all-in-one CRT-based Macintoshes are flower planters. Um, So there are some examples of flower planters being made out of classic Mac cases. I'm sure there are for iMac G3s as well. Um, some standalone CRT monitors. This feels a little worse to me than an aquarium because you're filling it with dirt instead of like crystal clear water, (laughs) but it's still a good novel use of of, uh, a similar physical space.
0: Right. Because the notion is that with any of the Macquarium mods is that obviously these are computers, they have air vents, they need to have circulation. So to put the actual water inside, you need a separate component installed in the case, with the exception of those um, plastic shells from the monitors that were physically connected together. But in most cases, you have to actually add another glass component. And the planters that we found is, like you said, Brian, it's like they literally just opened up the top of the case and poured dirt in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like if there's a hard drive in there, they could just leave it. Like they, they don't care.
1: This... Brings me to the next thing in our notes, which I put in here as this is something that's almost impossible to Google because it's people turning their unused Macintoshes into physical mailboxes, as in like the thing at the end of your driveway that you raise a flag on. But if you try to type any combination of a like classic Mac mailbox, uh, you're just going to get tips on how to optimize Apple Mail.
0: Yeah, you're, you're, you're going to get articles about Outlook Express.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, So we'll put a couple links in the show notes. I think there was a trend in the late nineties, early two thousands to use the Yosemite uh, style G3 or G4 tower and turn those into mailboxes. But I'm sure that there are some out there for classic Macs, especially when uh, you could do just a tiny bit of work on the floppy disc slot to accommodate a standard uh, envelope letter, you know, obviously packages and, and larger letters are a different matter, but, uh, yeah, there just seems to be something about the size or or the whimsical nature of people who like to have decorative custom mailboxes that classic Mac towers are uh, a popular choice. I feel
0: like with these towers, the, the notion was that they had that easy open uh, case design where you just open it on the side, but that your average US Postal Service letter carrier does not know that. So you have to have some sort of affordance for... St- slotting the mail in the front but then then you the owner of the mailbox could go and open the case and retrieve everything out of there and of course if you're on good terms with your regular mail carrier you could be like oh if you have a larger package just open up the side and they'll be like all right weirdo (laughs) see you tomorrow
1: going down the road of these kind of crt-based mac mods because you get just get a lot of empty space back when you take the crt out you can also use your uh imac g3 that's minus its monitor as a pet bed Uh, if you have a a small enough cat or dog who like to go to sleep on a little soft pillow um, you can hollow out take out all the electronics and just line the bottom with a, a little soft pillow um we we have some links in our show notes of an iMac G3 and also uh an unused studio display but you know not the magic kind the the normal kind
0: oh yeah i see so the the one with the cat in it here <laughs> that we have is one of the later dv imacs so that's what the graphite color
1: i think so yeah
0: because if you remove all the components from that those had those had the more translucent shells where they're not, they don't have the frosted appearance. So you can see through them more easily. So you can actually see the cat that's sitting inside here. And I had not thought of that for the aquariums too. Like if you got one of these later model IMAX, it would provide more of an all sides kind of aquarium experience. Whereas if you had like a five flavors iMac, you would pretty much only be able to see the fish from the front. And then like, like you said, it's like some shadows of motion maybe from the side.
1: One final thing from this kind of like, you just got a a big cube of volume. Um, I'm foreshadowing here. Uh, The G4 cube can, once you take out the actual core of the computer, you have a pretty classy, clear cube that you can do some things with. And uh, one thing, Ed, I think you found this is uh, it, it's nicely sized to hold the standard like Kleenex tissue. So you can just uh, mount a tissue box inside your empty G4 cube and pull the tissues out of what I think is the fan vent because that's the one that was in the middle. Uh, again, this is something where you hope that the G4 cube uh, was just a lost cause because it's really denigrating to have it turned into just a tissue holder.
0: A couple more interesting mods. This one was interesting, I think, because of its name and also because it surprised me and kind of like, I thought it took a turn. So it's called the eye lamp. And of course, that's like an affectionate name for the iMac G4. Uh, You know, it looks like the Luxo Jr. Pixar desk lamp. And uh it has that base and the articulating arm and then the monitor on the stand. It's like, okay, so someone's going to do a mod where, you know, maybe they have one where the display has gone bad or something. You think, oh, well, I can turn this into a lamp. And so we'll link to this and it's... uh it's just an image gallery of this, this mod happening. And so there's not really any commentary, uh, except for a couple little captions on the images. And so he's taking apart the base of the, of the iMac, getting all of the stuff out of there, including a whole host of dust. As anyone who has had one of those remembers, <laughs> I'm just turning into dust volcanoes after a while. <laughs> Um, but he gets all that piece, all those pieces out. Um, and you're like, okay, I think I see where this is going. The, the monitor has been detached. And you're like, oh, he's actually, um, going to disassemble the arm. It's like, and, okay, well, that makes sense because I guess you'll have to run the wire that will actually power a light bulb up through the arm. So that's happening. And then you know you can see the springs and stuff inside and that's getting all put back together. And you're like, I see how this is going to go. We're going to have, we're going to have the nice base with the, you know, swiveling arm on top and lamp. And then it's like, well, this piece I saved and it goes on the bottom and then like an additional lamp piece is added. And you're like, wait, what's going on and then in the very final picture it's like here it is it's done and it's just got one little piece from the top of the case uh then half of the arm sticking directly straight up and the base has been turned into a lampshade i'm like wait you did it wrong yeah. <laughs> like in what respect it's even more creative because the person who did this saw the possibility that the base would act as a lampshade and like it, because it's it's a frosted white plastic would diffuse the light and if you put a sufficiently bright light in there it would still actually light a space but it just seems completely upside down and backwards to me.
1: I really like the way you've uh narrated it here because that's exactly the way I experienced it when I first uh went to the link. It's it you know it's you got to scroll through the gallery and you're like I see where this is going. No, I was 100% wrong. Yeah.
0: 180 degrees. Yeah. <laughs> And getting towards, uh I think, maybe the most recent Macs that uh, anyone has decided have long outlived their useful life and would be repurposed as something else is the cheese grater form factor of the G5 and Mac Pro. These things, of course, if you've ever used one, you know that they're tanks, right? Um, the external casing of them is just so solid that you can honestly... They will hold a lot of weight. They are sturdy structural pieces, so you can do all kinds of things with them, like turn them into patio furniture. (laughs) You just get a nice, strong, nicely finished board and put it between two old, gutted Mac Pros. Ta-da! Beautiful outdoor bunch. We'll link to a gallery of these that was collected together on The Verge from a company that is actually putting these together and selling them. Um... They have some more complicated ones, including things that are like office furniture, where like if you've ever worked in an office that has that kind of modular desk furniture where like, oh, you get your desk and you get a little filing cabinet and maybe like a little uh, closet to hang your coat when you come in and drawers and stuff. There are some of these where uh, they have like a full desk and then there will be the, the G5 or Mac Pro at the bottom. And instead of just being an empty case, it has a like it has a drawer that you can pull out what used to be the front or back of the case. Uh, There's one that looks like they turned it into a filing cabinet or drawer system itself. Uh, Very interesting. Like they obviously had a process for this. Um, And I can imagine that, yeah, there are a lot of these machines that are just, you know, no longer in use. I mean, I remember even back when I was in grad school several years ago, um, that one of the like IT assistants was down the hall from our office, and every once in a while, just like dead electronics would show up outside. And you know, one day, like four G five towers show up just in the hall. You know, doomed. You know, consigned to their death. Um, and someone could have done something like this with them.
1: I wonder if uh, uh, one of the posts we like to cite frequently on the show is the uh, the daring fireball big fan. Host about uh, the people at Panic pranking, I think, Craig Hockenberry with the the Intel dev kits. I think everyone had to send those dev kits back to Apple when you were done with them, right? When they were basically these G5 cheese grater towers with, like, minimal Intel chipsets inside. So maybe there are a bunch of these uh, empty cases that are floating around because of that program.
0: That would be a hilarious thing to do with one of these, is to, like, actually create a fan or like an air purifier inside one of them. Ooh, yeah. That would be pretty neat. I don't think anyone's done that. And uh lastly, on the G5 Mac Pro cheese grater enclosure, I think the funniest use of them <laughs> that I have ever seen. I believe this went around the internet. Oh, well, I'm looking at the date in the slug on the URL. I guess it's about five years old. But um we just had the... Independence Day holiday here in in the U.S. as we're recording, and so you gotta have a good barbecue. Maybe you don't have a fancy Weber charcoal grill, but you've got uh, you've got an old uh, old Mac Tower lying around <laughs> and uh, and a little piece of uh, and and maybe a Dremel. Uh, so you, so you just uh, you just put a nice great pattern in one side of it, and then uh, load it up with charcoal. Set the thing on fire, pop your burgers and uh some corn on the cob, and uh you're good to go. <laughs> I can imagine that like given the you know structure of that metal and the shape of it, that you could actually get like a very hot fire going in there.
1: Um so let's let's wrap up this episode with some mods that actually preserved the computer electronics. So you could still use it as a functioning device, kind of in the spirit of of what I did with mine but uh, some that are far more adventurous and uh, in some cases far more like aesthetically adventurous as well.
0: Yeah. One that I found is interesting and I, I would love to find more information on this. If any of our listeners know anything more about it or can dig up anything based on the one link that we'll put in the notes is someone who has done a Mac slash Commodore case mod. So they've taken the case from like a, this looks like even earlier than a Commodore 64, and they've uh, done it all up in matte black, and it includes the base, and which includes the keyboard, and what looks like the original monitor, uh, because everything is in shades of CRT green, yep. even though it's booting into macOS 8.6, uh, but they've put a... White Apple sticker on the side. And most interestingly here, I think, is that I guess there is some sort of Mac hardware inside, perhaps even classic Mac hardware inside, because off to the side is what looks like an Apple desktop bus mouse in the black color, which there was. I think they shipped with With the TV. I thought the TV had the ADB mouse 2 in black. Oh. But there yeah. was one other model that came with it in black. So sort of a, a little rare piece of original hardware off the side there. Um, this is fascinating. Uh, it is, it of course takes up a ton of space. <laughs> it's not particularly practical, but I, I really do admire the uh, the craftsmanship that went into it and it does that thing that i i had mentioned to you brian that you know you were not going to try which is like wiring up the mac hardware to some other old display right which like of course like you know if you can somehow i'm sure that if you're willing to do soldering and get the right components like you can get a vga signal properly you know into basically any crt
1: for a modern Mac, outputting uh, Mac OS at I think the, the lowest it would go is eight hundred by six hundred. It just didn't seem <laughs> worth all the trouble to yeah do some extra soldering from like an HDMI to VGA adapter into the the physical board powering the the CRT.
0: My other favorite one of these, there, I mean there are many if you start looking around, but my favorite one is a a MacBook inside. Tiny faux cheese grater Mac. This is delightful. Um, you know, in, in the previous ones, we had actual huge cheese grater Macs being used as furniture. This thing, it looks like one. It even has the little grate on the front and the four handles. But it's, I guess it's maybe like a hard drive enclosure or something. That's what I was trying to figure out, too. That's the only thing I could think of. I don't know for what purpose this case was ever actually made. But someone found it online, sourced it for about 40 bucks. And then they had this relatively small space, you know, it looks like maybe, uh, you know, eight inches by six inches by two inches. And they said, I know I can like take a hacksaw to a unibody plastic Macbook and fit all the pieces in here. And that is incredible. Um, there's, uh, there's a photo of it where you can literally see that they have cut the plastic but some of it is still in place as the port housings and then they've kind of stacked everything on top of each other um and then gotten it hooked up to uh you know an external USB keyboard, an external display and running some fairly modern version of well, modern at the time version of of OS 10. This is from oh, this is from 2008, so it's a it, it's a little while ago. I doubt that you would be able to uh find that case component anymore. But I think this is kind of a fun idea. There's been, of course, lots of talk about, oh, you know, an iMac is really laptop components in a, in a desktop enclosure, um, or even the Mac Mini for that matter. But like, what could you do taking an actual, actual laptop components, they're actually smaller than what you wind up with in something like the Mac Mini, whose case hasn't substantially changed even after the elimination of the optical disc. Like, how small can you go? Especially if you're willing to bring the display on the side.
1: You said this is 2008? Yeah. I could see that if someone had presented this as a rumor of the X-Mac we'd all been waiting for... It might have blown instead of like, look at this mod. New Mac Mini confirmed. Yeah. Like like you said, the case is clearly like purposefully made to look like a very tiny G5. Um, and it does a really good job of it. And there are all these photos from different angles that like you could so you could totally present this as like I have confirmed, yeah, tiny Mac Mini or like the X Mac we've all been waiting for, uh driving this display that's running modern Mac OS 10. Uh <laughs> You could could have made huge waves on the internet with this. Well, they were too honest for that. The next thing we're going to talk about is going to get away from Macs for a little bit and actually go into iPods. And of course, there's probably, you know, you could fill hours of podcast content talking about the different ways people used iPods or mounted them in various stereo situations in your car, in your home stereo. On your wrist. (laughs) On your wrist, yeah. The whole Kickstarter marketplace that came up around a specific model of iPod. Yeah. Um, The one mod we're going to highlight on our show today is the iBoy. This is a uh, maybe fourth or fifth generation iPod, uh, you know, like the classic size with a color screen wedged into an original Game Boy. And you may think like, oh, that's cool. That's like a fun carrying case. I see iPhone cases that are styled to look like the Game Boy. No, it's not just that the actual buttons of the original Game Boy have been wired on the inside to one of those uh first-party Apple wired remotes. <laughs> oh, that's how they're doing. Yeah, um, we'll put a link to uh, an Engadget post about this because it has some text to accompany it. But the Engadget post links eventually to a Flickr gallery that shows some of the assembly process. And there is, yeah, uh, a wired remote wedged in there with some of its... Uh, circuitry soldered to the Game Boy circuitry and then like forking out um, the uh, headphone port to the Game Boy's headphone port. So you use the Game Boy as a Game Boy with the buttons and its own headphone port, but on the inside uh, you're you're controlling and listening to one of the, the original model iPods. It's awesome.
0: Very clever. And th- this should make you feel good, Brian, because they, of course, have the same kind of screen alignment issues that you had.
1: <laughs> yeah. It's not centered. It's not the same size. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. The The original Game Boy screen is actually kind of more squarish, I guess.
1: And finally, um, someone who did something very similar to what I did, they took a Mac Mini and put it in a different Mac. But this is the original form factor of the Mac Mini. I don't know if it's actually a G4 or an Intel, um, and it's inside the G4 cube. And it's not just one of these, uh, serendipitous, Hey, look, it's perfectly sized to fit inside this. No, uh, the Mac mini and the cube are taken apart and like component by component reconfigured to go into the original cube case in such a way that like the fancy, uh, touch sensitive power button works The slot for the G4 Cubes DVD drive is aligned with the Mac mini's DVD drive um, and lots of other thoughtful touches like this. And then it's set up to be a a media center Mac, not a general purpose computing Mac. So there's some additional stuff in the process article about getting one of those Elgato TV tuners and outputting it to uh, a TV, a really cool project that definitely went above and beyond just literally chucking a Mac mini into a bigger case. It's taking apart the Mac mini and reassembling it inside another case. Ah, remember Front Row. <laughs> not, not until I looked at this article had I thought about Front Row.
0: <laughs> this is like building an Apple TV before there was an Apple TV. And yeah, it's a very involved and cool mod. They do some recoloring and painting, uh, an addition of uh, glowing Apple logo. Uh, very cool. I think that this one is worthy of uh sacrificing the cube over uh as opposed to uh just putting some tissues inside (laughs) agreed so i think that wraps up the cool mac mods that we have found on the internet plus of course brian's epic project which we'll all link to those in the show notes for this episode which you can find uh in your podcast app or on our website at SimpleBeep.com. And of course, you can get in touch with us there as well. If you've done some kind of old classic Mac case mod and have stories about it, we would love to hear them. Or if there are favorite ones of yours that are just out there on the internet that we missed and you would like to hear about in follow-up, please get in touch. You can also get in touch with us on Twitter, as usual, at Simple underscore Beep.
1: We are also individually on Twitter. I'm Bisuto, B-S-U-T-O. And I'm at ECormony. Thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next time.